The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Editor-in-Chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, here with my deputy editor, John Dixon. John, Tuesday, May 19th, we've made it to episode seven of this thing. How did that happen? Wow. Well, you know, as it goes, time flies when you're having fun. I, <laughs> I think we've said that a number of times on this show, so maybe that is the mantra that we're going to go with moving forward because it feels like you blink on this program and you'll walk away with a ton of Chiefs knowledge and it's in the blink of an eye, I feel mm-hmm. like. It and that, that's the job we've done and obviously we're really humble about it. So today is Tuesday, May 19th and the Chiefs finally, 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 finally can reopen their facility. So as you go through what this means, this isn't like, okay, you open the floodgates and everybody is allowed in. No, it's going to be like you've seen in some cities across the country, a soft reopening. There are some guidelines here. No more than 50% of non-player staff and a maximum of 75 employees per day. That's even if you have two, three, four, five separate buildings, 75 max across the board. Players that were rehabbing injuries prior to the closures can return, along with strength and conditioning staff members contributing to player rehab. You know who comes to mind here? Juan Thornhill. So Juan Thornhill is a player that can go back to the facility today. And also this, no other members of the coaching staff. That includes Andy Reid. He is not allowed in the facility. And John, I joked with you about this and just being around the Chiefs and talking to different members of the personnel staff and building relationships over the years, I can tell you personnel being allowed in the building and Andy Reid not must be driving him insane. This is someone who takes pride in getting there at 3, 4 a.m. every day. Brett Veach said on the franchise, I try to beat him here. It's impossible. So when you see the Chiefs facility reopening today, what's your takeaway? Well, you know, we had said all along that we thought that the uh, league would make sure that all the teams could do it before they'd let any teams do it. They've broken with that. But now it seems like the league is now talking about not proceeding with the next step until everybody can do it in order to ensure uh, a level playing field for everyone. I think for me, I think this is the league's way of 
more or less putting their toe in the water, but it, it accomplishes something else too. There's a wide variety of policies in place across the country in regards to reopening. And I read a, a rundown on uh, Yahoo Sports the other day of which, which states are going to allow NFL teams to operate and which ones won't. And most of it was quotes from governors. And the most recent one they had was from Gavin Newsom in California was like six weeks old. He hadn't really addressed the topic. So what's really happened here is that the NFL has given them teams an opportunity to just kind of get things going a little bit in a way that doesn't give anybody a really competitive advantage, but has also given the local media the opportunity to question these officials about what their plans are as they relate to the NFL. And we saw that immediately yesterday. Gavin Newsom was questioned about this in California. They got three NFL teams in California, so it's a big yeah. deal what Gavin Newsom thinks. And he said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll work with the NFL. So he went from a hard no six weeks ago where he's saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to have sports in California this fall, to, yeah, I, I think we could work with the NFL to, to take this first step. And that's just because the, the, the league stuck their toe in the water which gives the media an opportunity and a reason to question the officials about it. Yeah, I, I look at what the NFL is doing, and I think this is all they can do at this point. I think sure. you want to start yeah. to get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. You don't like the fact that it's uneven. There are certain states where the facility can't be open because it would be breaking regulations. You saw Mike Tomlin have problems with that, where coaches shouldn't have an, an unfair advantage, where Andy Reid, just because he lives in Kansas City, can't be installing his offense for the season. I mean, we've seen his record after the bye. What happens when you give Andy Reid any kind of extra time? Well, Mm -hmm. he's probably going to win. So (laughs) what would be giving him two months of extra time to work with his team do for the season? So I can understand that part of it, too, where you want it to be Fair, but you also, I I think there is something to getting the ball rolling, and that is what the NFL and the Chiefs are are doing today. Uh, So that is big in Kansas City. On this show today, we're going to cover the league as a whole, some things that have bled through with the Chiefs over the past week. We will talk to Louisiana Tech defensive backs coach Jeff Burris. He was the coach the last two seasons of cornerback Lejarius Sneed. And don't forget, that included a year of him switching to safety. Burris will weigh in on that. And then our final segment we'll have, with it being SB Nation Underdog Week, John and I will have three underdogs each to watch for 2020 training camp. You are going to want to stick by till the end. I have a major final underdog to watch, which I'm very excited about. Oh boy, here so we go. What a, what a tease. What what that is a pure tease right there for you to stick to the end of the <laughs> podcast. Already I could tell I'm long-winded. It's probably gonna go over an hour. So I hope you can uh, take care of multiple tasks as you as you listen to this show. Also too, besides the Chiefs facility and other NFL facilities opening on Tuesday the NFL would be having its owners meetings sometime this offseason. They're having virtual owners meetings on Tuesday. NFL Network's Tom Pellicero reported Monday, the league will now, as part of an advanced Rooney rule, require clubs to interview at least two external minority candidates for head coaching openings and at least one minority candidate for any coordinator job 
In addition, teams must interview one external minority candidate for senior football operations and general manager jobs. Teams and the NFL League office must also include minorities and or female applicants for senior level positions, including club president jobs. There's also uh, some voting on the table. NFL Network's Jim Trotter back on Friday reported that the league is presenting two resolutions that it hopes could level the playing field for minority candidates. The first proposal would end clubs' ability to block assistant coaches from interviewing for coordinator jobs with other teams. The second is on a proposal that would provide teams enhanced draft stock for hiring minority candidates as head coaches or primary football executives. That would be a a real radical change. We talked about getting as higher as 16 draft picks ahead for potentially hiring uh, minority candidates. This is relevant, especially, I think, in Kansas City, A, because this has been an issue league-wide for years, but a lot of this outrage and, I think, sweeping changes that you're seeing is all these coaching positions this offseason and a candidate who was more than qualified an offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, one of the best offenses in league history in 2018, led his team with Patrick Mahomes to the Super Bowl in 2019, won the Super Bowl. Of course, coaching hirings are going on as the Chiefs are driving toward the Super Bowl, but he ends up empty-handed. And I think the league recognized with that that there was a true problem here. And the Rooney rule, as it was, just wasn't working. Right. And, you know, any conversation about the Rooney rule ends up going completely off the rails because it's a basically an affirmative action program, which is always going to be a controversial thing. So it's very difficult to have a conversation that doesn't go someplace that nobody really wants to go. The idea of improving a team's draft position, I think it's important to mention that these draft pick improvements don't happen until the third round. Right. Uh, it's not like you're moving up 16 places in the first round. But it does seem to be a very major move, and it's really going to hit a lot of people the wrong way, I think. I could understand where there are going to be two sides of this, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to speak in poker terms right now. I call for those of you who are outraged, and I raise you Matt Rule and Joe Judge over Eric Bieniemy. And yeah. granted, I'm not going to say okay, there are certain circumstances where NFL owners and the personnel feel like they have the guy. That's going to happen. And I'm not not unaware of of those circumstances. But when you have this many openings, and this is now the second round for Biennemi, and and again, we're just talking about one specific coach. I'm sure this has happened a number of times over the years. There just needs to be a change. And Granted, we're not always going to have the exact correct course of action. I don't know if the NFL will always have the exact correct course of action. We've seen the NFL mess up on a number of things over the years where I bet you they wish they could have that one back. But I think where I'm at on this, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion, is something needed to be advanced or changed. It just wasn't working. And Mm -hmm. so I think this is an addressing of that problem. Yeah, and I think that the enemy's situation certainly highlighted it in very stark terms. Because it, as you say, when you look at the guys that got those jobs over the enemy, it's like, okay, what's what's not adding up here? And you can argue, maybe I don't know. I can all I can tell you is the players think the enemy is amazing, right? You know, and maybe he doesn't interview well. Maybe when he sits down with the owners, he just doesn't 
strike them as the guy, but they, well, you're left with the problem that the players think he is the guy. And doesn't that count for anything? You know, it's, it's very difficult to, to see exactly what the problem is specifically with the enemy, but the fact remains you'd figure he would get a job someplace and he hasn't. Right. And I, I look at Andy Reid too, and, and this is a man who never wants to drive away from what's at hand, which is always the game, winning the game, not mm-hmm. last week's game, not next week's game, wants to curb extra storylines from getting out, like something, for example, Tyree killed chirping with Jalen Ramsey. That's not something that Andy Reid loves, right? Mm-hmm. But as last year was happening, and as Eric Bieniemy was getting his second chance at these rounds of interviews, he would go away from discussing the game at hand because it mattered to him. And when mm-hmm. Bieniemy was left empty-handed, you could tell it ticked Andy Reid off because Reid feels he's more than ready to go. I remember him highlighting the fact that before he became a head coach. He was an offensive line guy. He wasn't calling plays. A lot of people say, well, yeah, EB doesn't do anything. He doesn't call the plays. I don't think that's the case. I think he's more heavily involved in the game plan than maybe even the Chiefs led on, which is why this is so baffling. And I think, again, and we'll get a chance to speak with Eric Bieniemy on Tuesday afternoon as the Chiefs right. are making the coordinators available. I think this might come up. in the. <laughs> Certainly will. And I, I'm intrigued on seeing who else is on the Zoom call. I imagine it's yeah. going to be more than just the local media, especially for mm-hmm. Eric Bieniemy. And what's interesting about Bieniemy is I do feel he believes in this cause. I don't think he wants to be the face of it, but it is what it is. It's how it happened because of the timing. Timing in life is everything. And I think the grand feeling that you have in Kansas City is no matter how this turns out, right? You hope the enemy when next season begins, I'm talking about 2021, he should be a head coach in the NFL. And -hmm. if the Rooney rule accomplishes that, then to me, it's working. And it's not just about his case. I think it's just about making an even playing field for this. We'll see what comes of it. Again, the NFL owners will vote in a virtual meeting on Tuesday. We'll, I guess, have more concrete information about what takes place on the Thursday edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Before we move away from this, I'd just like to make one other point. The The thing about the draft is the most controversial, and it'll get the most attention from everybody. Right. But the, but the other part of that proposal, where they're uh, insisting on minority interviews for coordinator jobs, might actually be more important over the long term. Because one of the problems that we have now is that we there aren't enough minority candidates among coordinator jobs, which is the the route you travel to become a head coach. So this might be the smartest thing the NFL could do is that the easiest way to make sure there are more qualified minority candidates is to see that there's more qualified minority candidates by moving the post back to the coordinator level. This might do as much as anything to fix the problem. Right. And that's a good point as well. Again, more on Thursday. Want to move to some Chiefs and Broncos chatter. Woo! No games for four or five months, but we're talking about them. Broncos linebacker Von Miller admitted last week that you can't stop Patrick Mahomes. Washington Post asked him, well, how do you stop him? Can't, admitted Miller. We've got to score points. If we're able to get off the field, you can hold them to a third down here and there, but that's 
on our offense. We've got to score on offense because you cannot. It's not smart to go into the game and say we're going to hold Patrick Mahomes to no points. And so I think you've seen the Broncos try to emulate that in the moves that they've made this offseason where the first two picks of the NFL draft are the draft's best wide receiver, according to a lot of people, Jerry Judy, and then Penn State's KJ Hamler. These are the enemies of the future Chiefs fans. Hamler runs unofficially a sub 4-3, so they got their McCole Hardman, Tyree Kill type of speed weapon there to sort of, I think, stick in shootouts with the Chiefs, it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely went for speed. Of course, the underappreciated aspect of Tyreek Hill's play isn't just his speed, but it's his ability to, to catch passes. You tracker, know, unbelievable, than, unbelievable yeah. tracker. Right, and, and so it's not just about team speed, although team speed is obviously something you need to pay attention to if you're a, a defense. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that really translates into being able to keep up with the Chiefs. Sticking with the, the Chiefs-Broncos chatter, Cortland Sutton last week was commenting about how much the Broncos and the team believes in Missouri product Drew Locke and, and what he was able to do last year went 4-1 and one for the Broncos late in the season. And Sutton says the only game he lost was to the Super Bowl winners in a snow game. We missed some opportunities. I know that y'all have seen that play with Tyron Matthew. That play is something that did haunt me for a while. I moved on from it. So a seeing ghosts type of quote from Broncos wide receiver Cortland Sutton. I posted the play on Twitter so that we could embed it in an article. And Tyron Matthew quote tweeted it and said, Drew Locke is going to be good, but he better stop playing with me. (laughs) Welcome back. Broncos Chiefs rivalry. We are, we're back. <laughs> I, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm buying on Broncos Chiefs. Because even if Drew Locke isn't the guy, Broncos and Broncos fans believe he is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they feel like they have a franchise quarterback to compete with Mahomes. I just don't think you could say that about the rest of the division with the Oakland Raiders putting their faith behind Derek Carr, but also leaving the door open and acquiring Marcus Mariota. And then you look at the Chargers who let Phillip Rivers go and Tyrod Taylor, who, again, a lot of people feel like this guy could be a starter in the NFL. All I'm saying is the truth. It hasn't worked out in multiple places. The Broncos really feel like the only team that has a quarterback. And, and the more that I cover this league over the years, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. And so the Broncos feel like they could compete with the Chiefs now because of this lock kid. They are saying all the, the right things. And you look at the expanded playoffs. I mean, nine and seven can get it done. Like maybe you won't necessarily win the division for a few years, but you could make the playoffs, and as we've seen in the playoffs over the years, who knows once you get in, what's your take on all this Broncos and Chiefs noise in the offseason, John? Well, I'm on record already as saying that I think that the uh, road game against the Broncos is going to be one of the tougher tests the Chiefs face this season even. I think it'll tell us a lot about where Drew Locke is in terms of being that guy, being that franchise quarterback who can, who can lead the team 
will tell less, I think, when he plays at, at Arrowhead. But certainly in Denver, when he's at home and he has the hopefully a crowd that to egg on the defense uh, against the Chiefs, I think it'll tell us a lot where this rivalry is headed. He didn't impress us all that much in his start against us last year. But there were things about his performance that were impressive. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally convinced that he isn't going to be the guy, but he hasn't proven, proven to me that he is either. And I think that road game this year will tell us a lot. The play that they mentioned was actually a great throw by Locke to Sutton mm-hmm. in the yeah. end zone. and really just was a good defensive play by Tyron Matthew. Locke finished the game against the Chiefs 18 of 40 for 208 yards and an interception. Now, in the other four games, to me, these are the key numbers. Because, yes, the Chiefs are, are the most important opponent, right? But they're playing some really good football at the end of the year. So you look at the other games where Locke was able to get them back in it, and they were games against the Chargers, Texans, Lions, and Raiders. 82 of 116 for 812, seven touchdowns and two interceptions. I mean, you could bring up all the tape in the world. Those numbers are numbers of a franchise quarterback. Yeah, And mm-hmm. so the Broncos have now lost nine games to the Chiefs. They hope it isn't double digits here when the next season begins. They should be more competitive. And again, I, I feel like until you get a quarterback like Mahomes, the Chiefs are winning most of those games. We'll see if they can steal one against the Chiefs next year. Division games are, in my mind in particular, games that could sometimes be a little fluky because of so much on the line and where teams play up and down and so on and so forth. So. I'm looking forward to this first Chiefs-Broncos matchup. And you could tell that the Broncos fans are starting to really get upset on social media. So you know that this will be a game that's marked on their calendar. The problem that the Broncos have, though, too, is with Mahomes, I think, over the past, especially that first year he was starting, the defense wasn't that good at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have this really improving Chiefs defense. You saw it come into its own toward the end of the year. Anthony Hitchens last week talked about how the defense needs to improve this next year. We improved uh, by week seven through the whole season. Uh, and I think we can get better in a run game. Uh, our DBs and our, our secondary uh, saved us a lot of games. Uh, I mean, with T5 and people getting picks and batted balls on fourth downs and uh, all that. So once we get that going with the run game, we should like, definitely not make predictions or anything like that. We should be a top five defense. Okay, Anthony Hitchens. Not making predictions, but then you drop top five defense. That's a prediction. And so <laughs> I find this, if the Chiefs are a top five defense, and, and what does that mean? I know, John, you're a stickler on that, whether that's yards or wins, sure, points yeah. per game, whatever. In any category, whatever you want to call up, right. dial up. Mm-hmm. If the Chiefs were in the top five, and you have Mahomes, and we're going to talk about Clyde Edwards-Alaire in a second here, and that, this offense that's supposed to be even better next year, how is this team going to lose a game? I, it, it, they shouldn't. I mean, they should be 15-1 and one as a floor. Yeah. I, it, 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 it bodes well for the team if the defense can actually reach that level of performance. And they could. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say they can't. They made a lot more improvement last year than I expected, and I think that most people expected, and more than was really required. I think most of us went into the season last year thinking if the Chiefs' defense even became average, the team would have a very good shot at winning the Super Bowl, and they did better than that by a lot of different metrics. So I don't think it's unreasonable that that could happen. 
Yeah, and as Hitchens mentioned, and it's it's always good to hear the player say this because you as a fan, you in a bar could talk to your buddy and say, yeah, this run defense. But Hitchens acknowledged it. He's like, yeah, we know the strength was the secondary last year. Incredible when you think about preseason, what we were saying about the defense, right? But mm-hmm. the secondary was a strength last year, and really the run defense was a problem. And so now you have an objective for this year. Let's see how they can improve run defense. Hitchens feels like if they can improve run defense and I think tackling right there at the second level, then all of a sudden who knows what can happen. Of course, there are a lot of Chiefs fans that feel that Hitchens is one of the weak links of the linebacking core. But I think you can make an argument that if Willie Gay shows up this year, if we actually get snaps from him and he turns out to be a significant player, that Hitchens' game will improve too. I don't have the sound pulled up, and I do want to mention, I think that's a good segue to just mention this quickly, is Willie Gay Jr. could be a replacement for Hitchens, and he went and said, I'm going to help him in any way possible. People helped Mm -hmm. me when I was young. And it's back to that Chiefs Kool-Aid, and and it always sounds like Kool-Aid, but they've created a a room here mm-hmm. where you, you just have attitudes like that. And it's, it's been incredible to watch. And that is a credit to Andy Reid. And I think Brett Veach, in a sense of the leaders he brought in, I, in, in Tyron Matthew, I mean, everything is just about winning. And when you ask any player, I, I don't want to even say I tried to bait, but I asked Tyreek Hill a question about how his stats suffered. I mean, he wasn't able to get a 1,000 yards because he missed four games. He came close, 860. But his answer is, I just want to win. You know, and it took our friend now, Tyler Dunn of Bleach Report, flying down to Florida, having a beer with Sammy Watkins to even get an inkling about maybe not being completely satisfied about roles. And so that's just a credit to what the Chiefs have been able to build in Kansas City. And that is the way, at least in my opinion, that you can reasonably start to talk about these dynasties. Because when you take the, the self-thought out of it and, and it's just more team-focused, that's how you win each and every year. And that's what folks bought into that Brady and Belichick were selling for so many years. I mean, think about all the receivers that Brady had over the years and what was the common denominator? They freaking made the Super Bowl. What was it, mm-hmm. nine Super Bowls? And mm-hmm. so I think that the Chiefs truly have a good thing going on in Kansas City. And that also factors into the fan perception of Hitchens because we tend to look at him just in terms of his production on the field. But the team looks at him as someone who brings leadership on the field. And they value him in a completely different way than we do. Does that valuation extend to how much he's being paid? That's a good question. But I think it's important to remember that the team always views these players through a completely different lens than we do, just looking at the, at the stats from the outside. Right. And... To prove your point, he was a Super Bowl captain. He wouldn't be a Super Bowl captain in the biggest game of everybody's life if the Chiefs didn't feel that strongly for real, I think, about him. Want to talk about Brian Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook was recently on the Pat McAfee show. He spent eight years in Philadelphia with Andy Reid. Thought it was interesting because immediately after the draft, Brett Veach says to the media, told Andy Reid to watch some Clyde Edwards-Alaire tape. He's going to remind you of Brian Westbrook. Beach says that Reid called him back, and Reid said, no, he's better than Brian. There was a whole backtracking of this the morning after. We won't play that sound, but basically, Beach and Reid had to call Westbrook and say, no, we don't feel like he's better. We just feel like he's a comparison. But I thought this was awesome to hear. So you have Reid and Veach 
and the KC Draft Guide comparing Clyde to Westbrook. Here's Westbrook on what he believes, if that is true, what Clyde can do in the Chiefs offense. Listen, you put this kid in that offense, and I just think that this is a dream come true for Andy Reid, but also Patrick Mahomes and Edwards Hilaire because he's going to have a great opportunity to carry the rock, touch it in a lot of different ways, screen game, the passes out of the backfield, same way that Andy Reid used me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that offense. And how many weapons can one of the best offenses in the league have? Well, there you go. And couldn't have said it better. It was a really good offense last year. I know a lot of our commenters and some of our staff members, and I'd say even myself to to a certain extent, have felt like while Damian Williams is a strong back, just a a level lower than Kareem Hunt, Mm -hmm. it feels like the Chiefs are putting out there that they finally have their guy at running back. And we'll see if they can get into that historic level of offense like they were in 2018. Right. And, and I think they could, I mean, it could definitely happen. You always have to worry about, you know, he's a rookie. We'll see how this works. You always have to put that disclaimer on it, but on paper, this looks like a guy who could really make a difference on this offense on a three down basis. Somebody who can put yards on the ground and be a receiving threat through the air. I'm glad to say that I didn't think the chiefs would use that first round pick on a running back, but, Given what we now know about this player, I would I would think that maybe I was wrong. You know what I, I just thought of? And it's probably, I think, the perfect metaphor for what the Chiefs have created here in 2020. These guys that are now in the offense are like if Andy Reid is on the Madden sticks and he can just create players for his perfect <laughs> offense. He has Mahomes, right, who has unlocked things that he never thought possible he's able to come up with with his pat plays. You have the speed threat in Tyree Kill at the Z, where nobody is faster in the league. You have a wide receiver type of body in Travis Kelsey. You have a running back that you handpicked and have liked this entire draft process in Clyde Edwards-Lair who fits into a wide receiver type of body. Maybe that fifth man is, is the one that you're still trying to create because I don't know if Sammy is the exact fit. Maybe that's McCole Hardman and that's why you liked him and, and you ended up taking him with your top pick in, in that draft. But if Andy Reid was creating players, this is what they would look like. This mm-hmm. is what they would look like. And yeah. Clyde, to me, is just another example of that. I mean, he had so much success with Westbrook I forget the exact amount, but there were just years after year of more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage. And it wasn't just rushing. It was a combination of receiving and rushing. And that, to me, is the ideal Andy Reid running back. Right. And we got some of that with Damian Williams, but just not in that next gear, next level kind of way that we became accustomed to with Kareem Hunt. And so you can see why the national analysts, at least, are all behind this. They see this as the guy that they've been looking for ever since Kareem Hunt went to Cleveland. So you you see why it's viewed as the right move. Let's see if it plays out that way. Could be a very exciting player for the Chiefs. And Damian Williams lifting that football with his left hand has, I think, made Chiefs fall back in love with them. And Mm -hmm. for good reason, 10 touchdowns the last two playoffs. Hear me when I say this. Football is still a business. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire 
can pass protect and prove that he's a good pass protector, Williams' touches are going to suffer significantly. Yeah. You know, and right. it's just a matter of whether or not he is ready to go and, and be on the field for, you know, I'm thinking 80% of the time. That's, that's at least my opinion. Other news, and this is some good news. Tyree Hill helped out healthcare workers at St. Luke's Hospital last week. Here was Hill on why he decided to get doctors and nurses 100 meals of Chick-fil-A. I mean, basically, um, me and my mom, like, we talk a lot about, like, giving back, you know, and that was, like, the way I, the way I was raised, you know, and, and um, like, my mom, she's actually a nurse. Like, she always come, comes home and, like, talks about how, like, people – like, um, don't care, like, about them, like, risking their lives every day, you know, stuff like that. So I was like, Mom, like, I mean, maybe maybe um, I can do something here in Kansas City, you know, for, like, the, um, for, like, the um, healthcare workers, you know. I mean, I mean, it can be small, it can be big. So we just came up with the idea of just par- partnering with Chick-fil-A and then just giving sandwiches. And plus, like, I love seeing people smile. And it was a good time, like seeing people smile, seeing people kiss sandwiches. That was a good time. So I, I really had a good time. If you give someone Chick-fil-A, of course, they're going to be smiling. And so <laughs> good on well, Hill. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Good on Hill to, uh, I think, get out there in the community. And there were videos emerging of him in a, a mask. And it's, it's a stark comparison to where we were with Hill last offseason. And I know mm-hmm. oh, man. some fans will be like, why are you talking about that? Well, because it's a thing and it's out there and it's what you think about when you, you see a story like this. And so I just think from year to year and you see him on the conference call and he's honest and he says, I've been taking care of my four kids. It's been tough, especially in the quarantine. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And you can see, I think, the growth and development of Hill as a man. And this was a really cool gesture to do. And I mean, you don't have to bring Chick-fil-A to the hospital. So good on Hill to do it in the Kansas City community. We've seen a couple things like that throughout the offseason. Right. And and it would have been something that we would have had a difficult time foreseeing a year ago. A year ago, right. we had an entirely different viewpoint on Tyreek Hill. And to even consider the possibility that something like this would happen, A, and that B, we would cover it in the way we are. And I think that says a lot about how well the Chiefs handled it, how well Hill handled it. And as you say, I think exactly right, his growth as a man. I think it's great. Another Hill note, he's doing yoga now twice a week to get ready for the season. He says he's trying to open up his hips, his glutes, things like that. He feels amazing. He's been getting out of his routes even better. And his words, not mine, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be a crazy year for Hill. He had a couple seasons of 1,000 yards, took a, took a hit last year because of the fact that he had that weird injury at the beginning. But this is a player we've seen what he can do. He's that home run hitter type of guy where you have the ball in his hands and it could be a touchdown on any given play as long as there's they're space. I, I watch him, and just a quick note about Hill, when I, when I watch him at the stadium, and I bet you fans can relate to this, if he has two or three steps of space and... Westbrook talked about how Reed likes space makers. If he has two right. or three steps of space, it's almost a touchdown every single time. Like That's why you need to double him pretty much every time. And, and the problem with that when you're playing the Chiefs is, well, Travis Kelsey's on the Chiefs. Sammy Watkins is on the Chiefs. And now you have CEH, and we can see how the Chiefs take advantage of that. And that's always been the problem with the Chiefs' uh, offense. And it just becomes more of an issue now that we have another weapon out of the backfield that could be a breakaway weapon. 
again, not that Damian Williams wasn't. I keep one of. I feel like we need to keep reminding people of that. That Williams is an is a good running back and and uh, was a hero of the Super Bowl, no question about it. But what the Chiefs were looking for was that guy that had the extra gear, and that's what they believe they have. Right, right, and I think the problem too with Williams is. Like, let's say, and Andy Reid has done this in the past. Let's say they're like, well, this is your job to lose. You're the veteran. Well, okay. But he has shown a problem to stay on the field during the regular season. Hmm. So then what if you get to week three, Damien's legs are, are acting up and you insert Clyde into the lineup, might not ever lose his job again. So I think Williams is a part of this offense. I just think it's going to be, as I said, in the, in the 20% range. Coming up after the break here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we contacted Louisiana defensive backs coach Jeff Burris. The Chiefs took his cornerback and safety, LeJarius Sneed, in the fourth round. More insight on that coming up next. Stay with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Louisiana Tech defensive backs coach Jeff Burris. Jeff, you have some experience in the NFL, and now you've been coaching for, for a long time, so a wide range of football experience. Thank you for joining us today. Well, Pete, I appreciate you taking the time, and I'm excited to be on the show with you. So you had Legereus Sneed, the Chiefs' fourth-round pick for the last two seasons. When you found out he was drafted, what was your reaction? It, just overwhelmed. I, I just I was so excited for him, his family, uh, and I know what he's been through. I know the the, the battles he's overcome. Um, we us playing him out of position. He, I, I see him as a corner, and he he just he was a complete team player. A pleasure to coach a young man that I have the the utmost respect for and love him like he's my own son. Yeah, I think that's been the immediate storyline after he was drafted is he has all this experience at cornerback, was changed to safety his senior season. Mm -hmm. I was wondering some insight into that. Why the change and, and how did he handle that? How can that help him in the NFL? Well, I, I think the biggest thing, Pete, is uh, he was a he's a he's a team player. He knew going into the, the season that, and we, I talked to him specifically, that we needed him to play safety. Uh, he had played some safety before, but prior to me um, becoming part of the Louisiana Tech staff, and he was, has, he was the guy that has, 
had the position flex that could play inside or outside. Um, was he willing to do it initially? He was unsure because he didn't know how much it would affect affect his draft status. And to be honest with you, I, I, I think it did. I, I think it played a role in, in where, uh, his draft. But ultimately, ultimately where he landed was the best place for him. But for a guy to be in the position that he was in that I think that could be a very dominant corner to, to be uh, unselfish and move inside, he did it for our team. And he made our team better. Um, he made our team uh, defense a lot better because of his skill set, his skill set of being able to play uh, in the slot, uh, play man coverage on a slot receiver and doing some things that we asked him to do. Uh, really benefited our team and to, to be unselfish like he did to do that for us was really, uh, really a, a great sign of his maturity. I think the two attributes, skills that jump out about Sneed on the tape are his speed, certainly, and his ball hawk ability, eight interceptions with Louisiana Tech. Just wondering if you could speak to those two things with all this playing experience that you have, this coaching experience that you have, where does that speed and that ball hawk ability really rank in, in guys that you were able to coach and see? Well, I, I take no credit for it because obviously I can't <laughs> coach speed. We try to recruit the speed. And uh, even with the ball skills and the, his ability, I, only, I give him a hard time just uh, to make sure he's wearing his contacts all the time. He, uh, he doesn't like to wear his contacts, but when he's wearing his contacts, his ball skills are, are, <laughs> are very evident. Um, he is probably, from a skill set standpoint, from a, from a physical um, – when I first met him, I'll just tell you the first time that I met him, I walked into our staff room. And I, Coach Holtz had talked about, uh, you know, the players that were in my room and uh, the potential that they all had. And I hadn't met him yet because we were, it was uh, spring, right around springtime, and um, he was uh, – he walks into my room and he's dressed very, very well. And I looked at him I'm, I, and I told him, I said, you are NFL corner. Uh, his size, his length, and I didn't realize how fast he really was. Uh, there was some jokes running around that whether it was him or, or Meek uh, or uh, other corner who was the fastest, or we had a couple other guys that had some speed, and they would always say Legereus was the fastest. But, I mean, I think the ceiling is very high for him. I, I don't think we, you've seen his potential. I don't think – you've seen some things that, 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 that will excite you, but like I tell him all the time, uh, he, he's on the cusp of being uh, doing some tremendous things. And I'm excited to see because of uh, the skill set that he provides, but also the coaching staff that he's getting involved with. I do want to ask you about that coaching staff, but that is good to know. That is something that a lot of scouts look for, for the best days of his football to be ahead of him. And, and it certainly sounds like that. want to quickly ask you about Amik Robertson. And you see that Legarius goes to the Chiefs and then Robertson goes to the Raiders. What's mm -hmm. that dynamic like where they go <laughs> from teammates under you to in like a second time in the same round, <laughs> bitter rival? Well, for 14 weeks, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be rooting for either the Raiders or Kansas City. So the two, the, the two, two weeks that they're playing one another, I just got to watch as a fan. You got to get one of those double jerseys, that like Raider Chiefs jersey. Pretty, pretty unique. That, I mean, you don't really see that too often where guys in the same round, teammates, probably beloved by you, just in a second are now on just the opposite ends of the AFC West. 
it was it was a long day to be honest with you as we were watching the draft my wife and I we were sitting there and she's watching anxiously as I'm watching anxiously to see where they were going to go and so we we finally just said let's go walk the dog so we were walking our dog and I had my phone on me just checking and then all of a sudden I see uh, Legereus uh, being drafted and so we, we had our TV on so I rewinded it to record it and then Right after, I'm like, Amik went right behind. So, so I'm walking around the neighborhood, and and I tell you what, it's just it was a great feeling. It really was because uh, not just the football players, uh, the quality of young men that that I had the opportunity to coach. It, it means a great deal just to see them both be in a position uh, to to go to two great organizations. Obviously, with uh, with the Chiefs coming off the Super Bowl. And obviously, we all know about the Raiders tradition and now a, the, a big rivalry still. Um, so it was, it was great to see. And I was, I was very excited for both, both, both young men. One thing the Chiefs tend to look for, especially in rookies, is their character. And everything that, that you're kind of saying and alluding to is you feel very strongly about the person, Legarius is I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit of of what type of person the Chiefs are getting here. Well, the biggest thing is I like I talked about earlier his maturity. I think he's grown as a young man. He has a he has a son uh, Kyson that is his world, and I could tell whenever he hadn't seen his son in a while because he when he when he's when he's down he hadn't seen his son. So, uh, but he's the type of guy now that. Uh, when you come into the room, he was, he was the guy that was leading prayers for us. He was, uh, he was, he led by example. He wasn't, the, he wasn't a vocal leader. Uh, he wasn't the guy that would go in rah-rah. He's not the rah-rah guy, but if you challenge him, if you challenge him and, and demand from him, he's going to, he's going to try to go out and, and make sure that he accomplishes all his goals. So um, his work ethic, uh, I, I enjoy because I, I always tried to push their buttons just to make sure. Um, because you, you got you got a leadership is you can have leadership in a variety of ways. Some guys are very vocal leaders. Some guys are lead by example. And and I challenged him to be a leader from a standpoint of always being consistent about his behavior. And and that's that that was a challenge for him because of um, he 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 grew into that. He grew into the role and grew into uh, being that for us as as a unit because he was well respected in the locker room. And he was also well-respected in our room. So that made a, a, a big difference for me. It helped me uh, to be able to communicate to the other guys. If And he and I had a special relationship, which uh, meant the world to me. Now, you mentioned before the coaching staff and the scheme that he's going in. It's 4-3. The Chiefs ask a lot out of their defensive backs, different coverages. They really need them to, to be smart. Mm-hmm. What's your confidence level in Legarius being able to handle a lot of the different types of coverages, whether it be man, zone, so on and so forth, that he's going to be asked to do in Kansas City? I, I'm confident he'll be able to pick it up. Like I said, when when I first got here, he had played multiple positions, and he what we demanded from him even last year uh, from the safety position, he had to make some calls. He had to make some calls and put us in in positions and. Uh, we were kind of going over our red zone defense this morning as a defensive staff. And I just looked at all the different calls we had, he had to make. And I can remember one time at practice specifically, uh, we had just put our red zone defense in. And so I'm standing behind them all, uh, just trying to, you know, make the calls here and there. And uh, we ran a play 
so he 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 subtly he, he quietly turned around. It's like, coach, you, you got to let me do this on my own. And from then on, I I I stopped making the calls for him. And this was like day day two of, of the install. And typically, it takes a little time for guys to get it. But he was like, coach, I can't learn it if you're telling me what the calls were the calls are. So I shut my mouth and and let him go. That's got to be almost jarring in a good way for you because you probably saying, okay, I had this kid, but shoot, that that's a that's a moment where you say, wow, he's a man and he's really taking this responsibility on. It, it really, for me, that was that that was that point for me saying, okay, um, you you get it, you understand, and you understand what I'm expecting from you. So it was very uh, it was very reassuring to say the least. Uh, to have him say that. And, and again, I, it was a proud moment because I know now that he's challenging himself just as much that I challenge him. I, I, I challenge all the players from not just from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint and knowing the entire defense. And he, uh, that was a very impressive moment for me at the time. The chiefs cornerback room is interesting. It's, it's very young. There could be some, some problems where they may need some cornerback snaps early if there is a scenario where Legarius isn't able to get on the field right away, he may be a guy that the Chiefs might look to for special teams. How is he in, in your mind in that regard? I, I think he'll fit in regardless of where it's, where it's at. He, um, he played uh, his, my first year, he played a ton of special teams for us. Like he was on the field, um, punt, punt return. He, he did it all. That four core team. type of guy. Yeah, and he uh, and performed well. And he was one of our key guys on our punt team. And he was also playing corner. Um, do I think it'll affect him at all, being uh, a special teams guy and then a sub guy? No, I, I think he'll relish the opportunity because he understands that this is only the beginning. It's what you do with the opportunity. And, and we, we talk, we probably talk once a week. Uh, just to make sure that, you know, he's learning the playbook, whether he's uh, how, how much he's learning and uh, his preparation uh, and just to see where he's at. So I think he would relish the opportunity just to be on the field because I, he loves playing the game. Where is he at mentally now? Like how excited is it that it ended up being Kansas City? Oh, gosh, it's, <laughs> he, is, it's, he is beyond excited. <laughs> I, I, I can't put it in the words. I, I've seen hats and things that – I actually, to be honest with you, I did a, um, they had a uh, farewell going away celebration for him right. in his hometown. And you can see all, all the, the city, a small town in Minden, a lot of people had their chief stuff on. And, you know, he, he's, he's definitely excited about this opportunity. I, I look forward to it as well. Sounds like he has a lot of raw talent. And I, that was probably very attractive to the Chiefs. But he is still 23 coming out of school if there are areas for him, room to grow, what would you highlight that said, okay, I could see him at the professional level improving this and being the cornerback I foresee in the future? You talked about earlier his ball skills. I, I would say that even more so. Is it just I, the context though? or, or, or he, <laughs> I do. I, I believe that. Yeah. I, I truly yeah. believe that because there was a – we, we had a game. He, he had a chance to have – his, his junior year, he had a chance to have several interceptions and he misjudged the ball. And after the game, I was like, listen, we need to go have his eyes checked. Right. And sure enough, he went in and he, had, he got his eyes checked and, you know, he could. And, uh, but he, when I say, 
I'm saying ball skills along with his consistency. When he starts to believe in what he, he's capable of doing, again, I, I, I really believe, and this is just me talking, it might, it might be, I might be biased, but when he really understands what, what he can be on the next level uh, with consistency and being going to attack the ball, uh, not, uh, sometimes you, you get caught up in uh, the flow of the game and uh, not being as right. dominant. The great ones are dominant all the time. Uh, Stefan Gilmore is dominant all the time. Uh, it's no playoff. And, and same deal with uh, just, you know, you can go around the league, the great cornerbacks are, are dominant all the time. And he needs to learn that it's, he has to be consistent. But once he gets that consistency, the confidence level will continue to grow. And then the attacking the ball and being, his plays will come. He, he, sometimes he tries to go make a play instead of letting the game come to him. And that's what I mean for just from a consistency. Right. Once you get consistent about your business, then the game will come to you. and You dictate how, how things should, should go. I'll share this with you, Jeff. I mean, just from the outside looking in, I'm just a reporter, but watching Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew and what they expect out of these guys, I feel like players might be better off here than they are at other places in the NFL just because of these two guys chirping and, and the, the stuff that they demand even after signing these big contracts that yeah. you know some people would would hope to to dream to to see. So I want to close it here and and you already mentioned that that story of of Legarius at practice. I was wondering if there were any other stories that would just paint a picture of who this type of player is that that the Chiefs are getting. Anything come to mind that make you say, okay, this was a moment that I knew this was a legitimate player that that could be in the NFL and could have success. I would say uh, we were playing North Texas his, his junior year, and um, they have they they had two quality NFL type receivers in my opinion, and we knew going into the game that they were gonna they were gonna attack us. They were gonna attack our corners and make us work. And he uh, we were in a three deep early in the game, and they they threw a seam ball that he should have overlapped and should have made the play on. And you know he came over, he was frustrated with himself about it, but also. Uh, Amik had just had a was having a decent, pretty good game. So he knew the balls were going to come his direction because you know reality is he was he was a new guy. He was a new corner, quote unquote. Um, and they attacked him, but he, they were. It was late in the game, and they were they they took a shot on him, and he went up, and I thought he had it. I thought he he, he had actually picked it. And he laid out and he was parallel and he had the ball in his hand. And when he hit the ground, the impact of the ground knocked the ball out. But I think that moment at during that time frame really triggered something in his mind that I, I can be as good as I want to be. And, and once I decide that I need to play like this at this level. And I think we, there's a picture somewhere that, that has him. He is stretched out laid out going going to make a play and he wanted to make that play and he was he was so hurt after after the fact that he didn't catch it I said but I tried to calm him down I said listen it's okay and so you gave us an opportunity and we we ultimately end up winning the game but I think that play kind of uh, uh, just gave him that confidence that he needed to continue to progress yeah, as a, as a as a defensive back as a whole 
Well, thank you very much. Ten-year player in the league, Jeff Burris, cornerbacks coach at, at Louisiana Tech. You got an interesting year ahead of you. We, we wish you luck in the fall. And as you're watching, probably what has become over the years, these two almost children for you battle it out in the AFC West. It should be a fun year for you. It will be an exciting and good luck to, to the Chiefs and uh, the Chiefs Nation as well. I appreciate you having me on, Pete. Great insight from Louisiana Tech's defensive back coach, Jeff Burris. When we come back, takeaways on this interview from our deputy editor, John Dixon, and underdogs to watch ahead of the 2020 Chiefs season. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. John, you had a chance to listen to that interview from Burris. What were your takeaways? Well, I think we need to listen to him. Man had a 10-year career in the NFL. Right. Um, you know, he's, he, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to cornerbacks. I thought it was fascinating that he still considers his former player to be a guy that he needs to counsel. You know, he talked about talking to him once a week and, you know, are you learning these things? I don't think about college coaches continuing to right. uh, help their players along when they make the transition to the league. And I'm, I'm all for it. I just wasn't aware of it, uh, hearing a coach talk about that before. And the other thing I thought was interesting was him talking about moving him to safety because it's what they needed to do as a team and recognizing that it was going to affect his draft stock in a negative way. But that's the thing about those kinds of moves it kept him from being drafted higher, but it probably allowed him to be drafted by the right team, which is good news for the Chiefs, of course. Bad news for other teams who, if he turns out to be as good as we hope, might have been able to get him. But it's, you know, the the usual carousel of the draft. You know, these players fall, which actually oftentimes uh, allows them to play for better teams. At least in this case, he didn't have to have an injury in order to make that happen. Yeah, you know what's funny, and, and that's a great point. It makes me think about the first four rounds as a whole when you look at the Chiefs draft strategy. So mm -hmm. first round, you have a weapon that you like. No one else takes a running back, so you go and get yours at 32. Second round, Willie Gay Jr. has some problems in college, wasn't able to play a good chunk of the year, and maybe that's why his draft stock is falling because you don't have that tape. Boom, the Chiefs get their linebacker that they feel will be an athletic part of the future. Third round, you feel like there's a tackle that fell because of a hip injury and the unknown stuff that goes with that in, in Niang. And then you get to the fourth round and you see that Sneed had to make a position change, probably better as a cornerback, affects his draft stock maybe. And all of a sudden you get a guy who, if he had been a cornerback for his final year at Louisiana Tech, Maybe he is going in the third round. So mm -hmm. as the Super Bowl champs, you're picking last. Every fan likes that, right? But the Chiefs were really strategic about how to make the most out of their draft, even though they were picking so late. And that's what we're going to have to get used to. It's, again, the, the championship attitude that we've never had before because it's been so long since we've had one. You know, we're it's John. Crazy. It's called championship swagger. Yeah, get, yeah. get it right. Okay. I am sorry. Sorry, that's, that's okay. That's all right. I apologize for yes. my. But uh, we're going to have to get used to that mindset. You know, we're not going to be getting those top picks in the draft. We're not going to be getting those top free agents come March. We're going to be figuring out ways to make players work at different levels. And as long as the Chiefs are competitive, which let's hope will be for 
uh, another 10 or 15 years with Patrick Mahomes. This is what we have to get used to. And it's entirely different than the mindset that we've had for 50 years. So I think we'll see this more and more as, as the seasons pass. John, it's underdog week at SB Nation. Right now, I believe our own Ron Cop is working on an underdogs piece of the Chiefs transition from underdogs to favorites, which I know, knowing Ron, is going to be really good. But we're going to talk about some Chiefs underdogs to watch for 2020 training camp. We'll start with you, John. So who's your, your first underdog to watch? Got to be Breland Speaks, the poster child for the idea that the Chiefs wanted to move to a 4-3 while Bob Sutton was still here. He hasn't shown what the Chiefs clearly believe he's capable of, had that injury last year, missed the whole season as a result. So he's an underdog coming into the season. Can he produce at the level the Chiefs expected him to have? And I think it'll be fascinating to watch to see what he's able to do when he gets on the field. That's a good one. I believe that... Speaks is a guy who went from high expectations because he was the top pick in that draft to no expectations. Mm -hmm. And really in the sense of almost Tano last year, a guy that you wouldn't be all that surprised if they cut. So I think the things to watch are how the Chiefs use him in training camp and the shape he shows up in at training camp. And does he really want to be a part of this team? I I tend to think there's got to be some kind of last ditched effort there mm-hmm. and, and we'll see my first underdog to watch john darwin thompson the forgotten man yeah what happened to this guy i know a lot of chiefs fans really like the upside of daryl williams there's of course clyde and damian williams then you have mahomes old running buddy deandre washington joining the team darwin thompson who was supposed to maybe be this type of back of the future for the chiefs has really gotten lost in that shuffle. Andy Reid keeps all different kinds of numbers of running backs. Sometimes he keeps three. Sometimes it's four. Sometimes it's five. Mm-hmm. You got to factor in Anthony Sherman into that. And mix. John Lovett. And John Lovett, who is this tight end quarterback, H-back type of deal. But what is he? He's a roster spot if, if he does stay on the team. So where does that leave Darwin Thompson? I spoke to Dylan McCullough at the Super Bowl, and he, when... I asked about Darwin Thompson. His eyes lit up and said, man, every time I see this guy, every time he touches the ball, it looks like he's improving. I just think he's a forgotten man and a real now underdog to make the team. One of these running backs is going to be trade bait. I don't know what you're going to get back for them. Is it Darwin Thompson? Is it Daryl Williams? Do you move DeAndre Washington like you did Carlos Hyde after signing him? I like Thompson as an underdog. I like him in the way that he speaks about himself and in his drive. You know, when we have these questions, you mentioned in your dog in Speaks, John, about how he's going to show up to training camp. I'm telling you, Darwin Thompson is going to show up like a man on a freaking mission. And we'll see where it lands him toward the end of this uh, training camp and, and roster cut. I've been a fan of his ever since his first interview at training camp last year. I mean, I just love the kid's attitude. I love the way he speaks. I love the way he approaches the game. The question has always been, can he pass protect? That's right. always going to be the issue with, with Darwin Thompson. I'd like to see him succeed. I think there's a scenario here too. And man, this has really turned into the poo on Damian Williams podcast. But <laughs> you look at Damian Williams and his availability, the best ability is availability. You look at all these running backs in the room where the Chiefs are high on a lot of them. I don't know. 
I don't yeah. know about Damien. I just just keep an eye on that. Who's your next underdog, John? I would have to go with Eric Bieniemy. We already talked about this. I, I think everybody wants to see him succeed as a head coach, which is weird because you know for him to succeed as a head coach, he has to move on from the Chiefs. Right, and and it's it's weird for a fan of the team to have that view, but I think we I think a lot of Chiefs fans do have that feeling. It's like this guy deserves to be a head coach. Let's let him have that shot. And also, it's easy for us because Andy Reid always has a guy in waiting to be the next offensive coordinator. So that that's helpful at least. The interesting thing about the enemy is I think he's earned such a reputation here in Kansas City that if he were to go to an NFC team say it had been the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. I think this is almost like a second team candidate for Kansas City Chiefs fans, as long as he doesn't end up in the AFC. And I talked to my friend Jay Binkley of 610 Sports Radio. It breaks his little heart that Drew Locke is a Bronco. <laughs> so whenever Enemy moves, as long as it's out of the AFC, certainly out of the AFC West, I think Chiefs fans will really be rooting for that team yeah, whenever they're not playing. Uh, the Chiefs. Uh, my next underdog is Dorian O'Daniel. The Chiefs have finally gone out and and got a guy, I think, who does it all at linebacker to replace him. I wonder if there's weak side and strong side hopes for Willie Gay as he develops. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel, we thought, would be the perfect weak side linebacker for the Chiefs, and the Chiefs just have used him on special teams. They're now getting enough undrafted free agents and other guys back in the mix, and we talked about Gay whereas this seems like the final chance for Dorian O'Daniel. Feels like with all of those numbers and, and the numbers game that you play, unless he really shows out at training camp, he's going to be gone from this team. Yeah, unless they're building him to be a special teams ace. You always have to consider that possibility. Like a it, Frank Zombo. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who can be a big contributor on special teams and can step in if he has to at his listed position. But, you know, they've always got a lot of special teams aces. Right. And and there's a limited number of roster spots for those guys, too. So I, I think you make a good point that this is, this is going to be show or go for O'Daniel this season. And just to play devil's advocate, I mean, you, you have Ben Neiman there, too. How does mm-hmm. he fit in if, if right. O'Daniel's capped? And, you know, you talk about special teams, aces, like Antonio Hamilton and Alex Brown are, are guys that maybe could fit into... To, mm-hmm to that category. How many numbers do you have there? So O'Daniel will be a player to watch. I think he really just needs to impress and and prove that he belongs here. This is now, what is this? The fourth year, third year of O'Daniel. I think you need to show a little bit something being that young. I mean, I special teams aces feel like league veteran guys like Zombo, who's just been in the league forever and can provide a little bit of that leadership. I mean, this is still a young guy. I think he needs to come into his own a little bit, show something for the chiefs to keep him on the roster. All right, John, your next underdog. A former underdog in this case, Dan Sorensen. You know, he, for years, has been the guy that Chiefs fans have loved to cut in order to create salary cap space. And he showed last year why the Chiefs have kept him around. Only the Chiefs didn't know they were keeping him around so that he could be utilized in uh, Steve Spagnuolo's defense. But that's turned out to be exactly where he was the most useful. I'll be interested to see if he can continue to provide the kinds of contributions he did last season. Because if if they have some way to replace what Sorensen did in 2019, then this might be the year where he actually does become a cap casualty because he has a pretty high salary right. uh, for, for what he does. 
even with the production he had last year. I'm just glad that the narrative has changed. You rarely see people saying, oh, yeah, we got to get rid of this guy. That's just way too much money for what we get out of him. Because last year, he did earn his money. Yeah. And, and I'm glad for that. And I hope that he's able to stay because you love the guy's attitude. You love the guy's character. You love, you, you know, you love his spirit. I think he could be a great NFL coach someday, truth be told. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I think there are these guys that you see that come and go with the Chiefs, right? But there are certain ones that will, I think, you know, be forgotten when 20 years down the road. But John, I'll, I'll note this, and maybe it was more popular when you were younger, when you go to the park with your best gal and you carve your name into a tree so it's there forever. <laughs> I look it at may a, have been more, may have been more popular, but I never did it. <laughs> I look at, well, good. I'm glad you didn't. I look at like Kendall Fuller, for example. He's never going to be a chief again, but he'll always have that final play where he catches that mm-hmm. ball. Sorensen yeah. has one of those plays too, where at the very least, you're an answer to a trivia question. Who sniffed out that punt yeah. fake? against the Chiefs when they were coming back in the divisional round against the Texans. That was a tremendous play and one that should be remembered to Chiefs fans forever. And it'll always be Daniel Sorensen, even if he has a cap casualty this year. But you're right. He goes from underdog to what you would think is a more solidified part of this defense. Chiefs are in penny pitching mode right now, more Mm. so than they were last year with Chris Jones and Pat Mahomes. And I think you really got to watch Sorensen. That's a good point. By you, John. Now, I mean, this was the, the big tease at the beginning of the show. You've made it all the way to the end. Congratulations well, for I'm still being quiver. here with us. The big underdog that we need to be watching at training camp. Little stock music, heavy metal for Tyler the Mullet Newsom, baby. We have got to be watching. This putter battle. Tommy Townsend comes in. He's got this straight laced hair. We're supposed to love him as the new guy. Look, we got Tommy Townsend. So we were able to say goodbye to 15 years of Dustin Colquitt. Not so fast. Here comes Tyler the Mullet Newsome, and he's ready to earn his stripes as the Chiefs punter and shock the world as the clear underdog in this battle against Tommy Townsend. John, what do you think the chances are Tyler the Mullet Newsom wins this job? Non-zero. Okay. <laughs> so you're I saying mean, there's a chance? Uh, yeah, I'm saying there's a chance. I mean, I, I've you know, you always love to have the character and the personality in the team. You know, we've Anthony Sherman has owned that on this franchise for a long time, and you love to see that. You love for that to be part of the locker room, but. I just feel like unless Newsom just comes into training camp and kills it, uh, Townsend is going to be the guy. Uh, I do have to ask you this then. Do you, I guess, and let me know what you think here. Do you doubt the power of the mullet? Yeah. (laughs) It's a good way to wrap up our show. Um, The Damian Williams non-appreciation mullet program of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. We will be back on Thursday. Before then, you'll get another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory from our friends Kent Swanson, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane. Until then, keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com. Give us a rating and review. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of arrowheadpride.com. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show.